Welcome to another edition of Around with Randall, your weekly podcast on making your nonprofit more effective for your community. And here is your host, the CEO and founder of Hallett Philanthropy, Randall Hallett. Thank you so much for your time in joining me, Randall, on this edition of Around with Randall. We jump into one of the hottest topics in nonprofit work and in the nonprofit world, and that's the ever seems to be growing, increasing area of mergers. No matter what part of the nonprofit sector you're in, mergers are becoming more and more normalized. Now, in healthcare, they probably have been out in front of the curve. Healthcare has seen nonprofit hospitals and health systems have seen immense merging. But we are now seeing it in other parts of the nonprofit world. So if we think about healthcare, we'll start there. You certainly think about the largest nonprofit healthcare system in the United States in common spirit was a merger between Dignity and CHI. And before that, both of them had merged with various other things. We have an enormously large system in Advocate Aurora, which was Advocate and Aurora before now with another merger, bringing an atrium to make it one of the largest players potentially in the healthcare market. We've seen conversations in the Northern Plains of Sanford out of South Dakota and Fairview out of Minnesota, beginning conversations about their merger. But if we go outside of healthcare, there was a story recently about Michigan merging uh, the big brothers and big sisters, a couple chapters there. We've seen conversations about the United Way going through a massive restructuring and merging different individual areas. We then can throw in universities. Uh, we think about, and maybe you don't follow this, but because I was once living up there, St. John's and St. Benedict's were two separate universities, one for the boys, one for the girls, which shared a lot of things. They ended up just merging a lot of the administrative work that goes along with it. We have other examples of mergers occurring in, in smaller universities and educational units. So it really doesn't make a difference where you're at. Let's start with why this is happening. Then we're going to get into maybe some of the issues. And lastly, the tactical piece is what you can do to be prepared for it if it happens to you or it's happening to you. Why it's happening is, is that there's a belief system, if done correctly, and the for-profit world has maximized this a lot better probably than the nonprofit world, which I'll talk about in a second, that if you merge, you're going to create a kind of a thinner, more lean opportunity if you bring the back ends of uh, duplication together, number one. Number two is it might give you greater buying power. Number three, so there's cost savings, and there's also then cost savings or the ability to uh, reduce buying, and particularly large health systems that are buying billions of dollars worth of, I'll generally call it supplies. You get a better cost if you bring this together and have a little bit more buying power. We're going to buy more of tongue depressors, so we get a better cost per tongue depressor. In healthcare, we have something unique that some health systems have their own insurance networks. And what that does is it, it gives them greater negotiating power with outside providers and also to create a better efficiency. So it's a lot about cost, sometimes a little bit about revenue. If you can bring two things together, if you've ever uh, thought about or seen the movie with Harrison Ford and originally with Humphrey Bogart, uh, around the concept of of these mergers, it was in an old movie that you know you bring two pieces of technology together, merge them, you can build something new. 
And so we're dealing with a lot of different aspects of this. Now, where the nonprofit world, at least in my humble opinion, hasn't done as effective work on mergers is on the cost side. I can name a bunch of different mergers where all of a sudden there is, and I'll just say two philanthropy divisions, offices, systems, whatever, and nobody lost a job. And by the way, that's just not in philanthropy, in healthcare and other places, I would certainly say social service. There were two IT departments and there were two uh, finance departments and there were two HR departments. I mean, there's all of these infrastructures that occur and all of a sudden people weren't being let go. We we just found new positions for people. And that may be, from your perspective, the benevolent thing to do, but that defeats the purpose of the merger. In the for-profit world, they say there's two of these, at least one of them's gone. And if we have anybody else that can fill that role, they both may be gone. We may be promoting someone. It gets a lot more aggressive in the for-profit setting. And in fact, the nonprofit setting, I think, hasn't done this very well, uh, to be very candid. But that doesn't mean it's not stressful or painful or that they're getting more serious about it. The trouble is, is this affects you. It affects jobs. It affects ability to serve. It affects careers and things of that nature. And so we've talked a little bit about why it's happening. We've talked about maybe some of the things that aren't being done as well in the merger acquisition world when it comes to for-profits. What we really want to spend some time today with is what can you do when the merger happens? Because it's a threat in many ways to what you want if you're working somewhere in philanthropy within the nonprofit in as they begin the merger process. It's tough. It's very, very tough. So let me start with the first thing, which may sound common sense, but all too often, it's not done very well. And it's something you alone can control. Number one is to stay positive. Even if you don't agree with it, even if you think this is a bad idea, even if you are against it, the minute you become negative, you aren't as valuable to the organization, the current state or a new one. There has to be some level of acceptance. There are things that are out of our control. At the end of the day, it's really hard on a personal and professional level to give up control of your life. But in this kind of scenario or situation, particularly when it comes to philanthropy, we don't have a lot of say in these matters. So much so that I work with a, a client who has been in an acquisition mode, so maybe not mergers per se, but they're acquiring a new hospitals. And philanthropy isn't at the table at all in the acquisition process, which has caused a lot of challenges with the local foundation that seems to still remain alive. Well, how do we manage that? How do we fundraise for who? How do we get messaging? So the first thing is, is that positive nature is acceptance that there are things that are out of your control. I'm not saying it's right. It doesn't feel good. But the minute you sniff the merger or an acquisition and you feel threatened and you come out in a non-positive way, they're looking for easy solutions. And the easy solution is to remove someone or let someone go who isn't on board. Even if you aren't, you have to find a way to put a smile on your face. I would also say that you should look at this potentially as an opportunity. 
there is the old adage that when there's chaos, there's money to be made. What I would argue is in emergers, there's a lot of chaos, which means a lot of traditional power structures are going to be upended, like it or not. And they may apply to you and they may be somewhere else totally different. But at the end of the day, it's not going to be the same as it was. If you view this as an opportunity, how do you then grow into that opportunity? But if all you are is negative, you don't see the chances that are coming. And by the way, people aren't going to help you to have those chances. Staying positive is critical. Number one, don't throw people under the bus. Don't throw the process under the bus. Have a trusted colleague or more importantly, probably somebody at home that you can let some steam off on or with and keep it positive, even with trusted internal staff. If you are heard saying things that aren't at least neutral, factual, and better yet, positive, it just makes it so much easier to, for you to be the decision they make because they don't want to deal with it. Number two is to calculate structure. So if a merger is happening, and I use healthcare maybe as because they've done more of this, but I always assumed because of maybe my finance background that when a merger occurs that you're going to get rid of people. And as I mentioned, the challenge has been sometimes that's not actually what's happening. So I've got another client who's merging with another uh, another nonprofit, uh, large, large nonprofit. And it turns out that the power structure, the organizational structure, the governance is going to have kind of what you would think of as an East and a West division. And in some ways, they're not getting rid of anybody, at least philanthropically. So the structure is such, if you don't figure that out, there's not as much at jeopardy for you in the near term or for these people in the near term. Because they're going to keep them siloed with just kind of an overhang over the top. And they're doing it in this particular case because of other financial resources that are going to be available if they come together. And so they're going to keep the organization somewhat separate for a while. Well, that means that probably there's not a lot of merging in terms of jobs. So there's less to worry about. That's important to know because that then can inform you as to what you need to be doing. Versus we're pushing two nonprofits together there are two CEOs, we need one. There are two CFOs, we need one. There are two CPOs, chief philanthropy officers, we need one. That becomes a different story. So after remaining positive and being positive, you're able to listen more and be logical, figuring out the structure of what's coming the best you can will help you know what you have to push. Those are one and two. If you don't do those, if you're not positive and you don't figure out what the structure is and ask a lot of questions and be inquisitive, what you're going to end up with is either being negative and easy to get rid of or not understanding what your steps should be. So if you don't do those two things, you will regret it. After doing those two, there's some tactical things that come. Number three is realizing that the most important thing in this whole process, if you want to stay or if you want to go, is relationships. Early on in my career, uh, really my first major job, I'd even say my first half real job, there was a change in leadership. And there was a scramble for power, for which really I didn't have a lot of interest. I was too young, too inexperienced, and knew that I wasn't going to be in the power structure of whatever came out of this entity. But I watched fairly carefully, and there was one 
individual that figured out that the best way for him to solidify his place and to grow his career long-term, he's a little older than I am, but younger in just, you know, average age is to align himself with the money, the donors. And there's only one person in this whole change over a two-year process that made it through the guy who was closest to the money, which made me understand and realize that when there's chaos, there's power basis. And in philanthropy, nonprofit work, a lot of that's the donors, the board. So your relationships are critically important. Number one, getting close to and staying close to people that are going to be influencing the decision-making process. Not to get your way because they should be doing the right thing, but to at least have inside information. Having a source that you can say, tell me what's going on for whatever level you can. Where are we at? And advocates, if possible, to say, this person is really who we need to keep in this organization. Ability to do that is based on communication. It's also important. So you would do the relationship pieces, as I just mentioned, with the people you already know. Also figuring out what the relationships look like in the other organization. Because that may give you some understanding about who's going to be in control there. Can you make relationships across that merger? It has to be appropriate. There's usually a, a kind of a quiet period and they don't want a lot of communication between the two organizations. You should follow the rules. But at the end of the day, the more you know about the other people, the more likely you are to make a good decision for you. So it's not only the current people, your board, your donors, the ones who have influence, getting closer to them, but also the people that are new that might also have future power. The more you have of that, the better off you are. The second thing is, is in these relationships, you have to be seen. Maybe this is more staff driven, like there's another, let's say, philanthropy staff on this other organization. You have to be seen by everybody as collaborative. Some of these decisions are made as to who stays and who goes, not based on experience, not based on education, sometimes not even based on anything more than, you know, a roll of the dice, it seems. But at the end of the day, the collaborative ones, the positive ones, as we talked about, number one, are more likely to have opportunities. So being collaborative, not giving the sink away, but being collaborative in, in, in a partnership perspective helps you. So relationships is number three. Number four is, is to prove value. You. If you're the chief development officer, if you're the major gift officer, it doesn't make a difference what you're doing. Excuse me, that the most important thing is to show why you're important to the organization. You have to show up. You have to get in there. You have to engage whatever your job is to do that job the very best you can. If you slack off because you're disappointed, upset, you're know, wanting to put in a protest, you will be the one who's out. I can almost guarantee you. So you got to stay visible. You've got to be innovative and you've got to be driving. I have a client who's going through a merger and what I'm most impressed with by this organization, in particular, a couple of the top leaders is they've said, we're going to be, they've done all of these things, been the positive. They are calculating kind of what the structure looks like. They are building relationships, but they have campaigns and they're just busting them. They're going like gangbusters. And, but they have figured, and I believe calculated correctly 
is if they close the kind of gifts I think they're going to happen the next couple months, it'll take care of itself because it'll be more money than than anyone's ever raised. And so that's value. If you're a gift officer and there's a lot of hubbub, you just got to put your head down, make phone calls and go see people and close gifts. Money talks, performance talks, value talks. So you're always paying attention, kind of head on a swivel. I think about my basketball days, oh, many eons ago, it seems. Your head was always on a swivel. What's going on around me? But I'm always focused on what's in front of me as well. So proving values, number four. The last one is the eject button. And I'm not recommending it, but I'd be a fool if I didn't at least talk about for a moment that for a lot of different reasons, you or a group, small group of people could be the ones on the out in the merger. Sometimes I have viewed it and said, uh, I don't think they made the right decision. And really, when you ask the question, why was that decision made in terms of why this individual over that or this group over that? Sometimes there's no answer. It's almost like they, you know, drew straws and it's, you know, picking teams on the playground. I'll take this one. You take that one. I'll take this one. You take that one. And people are left out. It's kind of random at times. It may seem odd. Sometimes it's what happens. So you've got to be prepared. Number one is, is you need to talk with people that you trust very quietly. And I would recommend outside the organization. I know that you may think that someone inside the organization is your friend. I know that you may think that they're on your side, but if push comes to shove, they may not be on your side as much. So who are the people outside the organization you can trust to get a perspective, run things past, just to get some idea of what someone else might see that you're missing? That may mean that you need to quietly start looking. And so part of that process, you've got to be aware that obviously you don't, if you're, unless you just want to say it, I'm out of here. Maybe you don't want your name out there. And so the way in which you do it has to be very professional, but sometimes very quiet. The other thing is, is that to realize that in a lot of these mergers, a lot of conversations occur around buyouts and severance that Maybe attractive to you. Maybe you're 63 or four years old and it's like, I can work part-time in somewhere else. And if they would give me a buyout for a year of insurance and salary, I'm I'm glad to go. All of that's a balancing of being ready for that eject, to be ready to leave if necessary. May not be what you want, but you'd be a fool not to at least dust off the resume, talk to a few people, just kind of know where you're going and what you think, at least contemplate it. The last thing under the uh, alternative planning or eject button, number five, and the last one, is don't sign anything without great review. As organizations go through this process, all of a sudden, there's a lot of documents that need to be signed. Sometimes those documents, and I'm not talking about the actual merger documents, but like employment documents, employee situations change because you have two organizations who are going to come up with new policies. I have someone that I know that went through a merger and the acquiring company wanted enormous protections when it came to employment and in particular non-competes. And there were several people that just said, I'm just not going to sign that because if I do, I handcuff myself in ways I can't even understand. So just be careful not to sign something because you want to look like the team player. You have every right to review and think about what exactly someone's asking you to sign. And any good organization isn't going to say sign it or you're fired. 
they're going to say, why don't you look at it and tell me what you think? So there's lots of ways to look at eject, like getting prepared. Maybe you want to be the one that gets ejected and you're looking maybe for a different opportunity. How do you leverage that for buyouts and severance? So you, it's to your advantage. And finally, don't sign anything. But the most important, again, I'll go back to the top two. Be positive and look at structure, governance, what actually is going to happen. And from there, that then we'll talk, you'll be able to figure out what you want to do as it pertains to relationships, showing that value and having your alternative planning, kind of that eject scenario prepared. And in doing so, it will give you more peace of mind of the things you can't control. Because these things you can. The big decisions you may not be able to. It's an interesting time as we merge a lot of nonprofits all over the United States. Trying to get as much control of it as possible is really important. Don't forget to check out the blogs. Two a week or so posted, 90-second reads. Don't want them to be any longer than that. Just a chance for you to kind of give you something to think about and contemplate. If you'd like to get a hold of me, that's podcast at halifilanthropy.com. Don't forget that it's important to realize through a merger or through chaos or down giving or whatever, that we in the philanthropic world, the nonprofit world, the fundraising world, really are doing really big things because our communities need this. Some people make things happen. Some people watch things happen. Then there are those who wondered what happened. I say this every podcast and whenever I speak, we are people who make things happen for people and things that are wondering what happened. And the key in all of this is that you know you have great value in making that possible through the mission of your nonprofit. And my hope for you and my hope for your organization is that you see that value and can execute upon it. Know you're doing great things. That's half the battle showing up. I'll look forward to seeing you next time right back here on Around with Randall. And don't forget, make it a great day.